All right, if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you'd remain standing for just a moment, we're going to read from 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. So our, our word for the year is inconvenient faith. I've been talking about this idea that convenient Christianity is the enemy of your soul. It would have been so convenient and easy on a holiday weekend to just, you know, you got a day off from work, why not take a day off from Jesus, right? That sounds weird to you, does it not? Like you're like, that don't even make sense. That's not, that's not who I am. But you know, like even getting here on a, on a holiday weekend, even no matter how long you've been following Jesus, this is not easy. It's, it's, it's an inconvenient fate, but convenient Christianity is the enemy of your soul. Anything that's going to be convenient is really your enemy. And so all year we're looking at these practices, our eight core practices. It's these practices that keep us focused keep us passionate. It, it is our North Star on what it means to follow Jesus. And these practices don't save you. They're, so it's not about, I do these eight and then Jesus loves me. You, you miss it. No, these are just the, the gauges. So you can look at any one of these eight. And as you, you look at them, like you, you know immediately when you look, you go, man, there's one I'm struggling with right now. When you're just off, you, you ever been just off? Things aren't right. You go to the doctor, they give you a checkup. That's, that's what this is. You look at this and you go, that's where I'm a little bit off right there. I need to press into that practice a little bit more. But we're calling these practice inconvenient practices because that's what they are. And during this series, we've been talking about the core practice of continual surrender. There's a fun one right there. Yeah. Woohoo. Glad I came on surrender weekend. That's just fantastic. All right. What I absolutely see in our culture right now is there's a crisis of surrender it's really weird no one wants to come under authority if we have any teachers in the house come on teachers whoop, whoop. you're like yes yes that is so true like teachers it's never been tougher in the classroom because nobody wants to come under authority. It's never been tougher to be in law enforcement. It's never been tougher to be an elected official in our state. Nobody wants to do that because I get to make the rules. I get to decide. I can be who I want to be. I can be with whoever I want to be, and I can do it when I want to do it. And we all see the carnage that's happening in our culture. There's chaos and confusion and brokenness and pain, and it's like that's what you get when you decide I'm not gonna let anybody tell me what to do like that's not what freedom is that's called bondage and so we're looking at this practice of inconvenient surrender it's not easy to do that there are a lot of different things I think that God calls us to surrender but we're focusing on 1st John 2 16 so would you just say this uh, scripture with me from 1st John 2 16 for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions these are not from the father but are from this world so week one we talked about the craving for pleasure last week pastor eric did a great job talking about the craving for possessions this week i want to talk to you about the craving the craving for pride craving for pride and if you have a copy of the scriptures first chronicles 21 We've been looking at three different kings. We looked at uh, like King Saul, King Solomon, and King David. All three were right there in that same time period following each other. Today we're going to look at David. If you're new to the scriptures, uh, First Chronicles is in the Old Testament. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, I encourage you a couple of apps that will really help you. version 
and also Bible Hub are great apps to help you with the scriptures. A lot of different ways you can use those for study tools. It's also where you will find our daily devotion. It goes right along with the message for today. But if you are new to the scriptures and you're new to church, um, David was king of Israel. He had been king for a, a quite a long time. And then we read in chapter 21, something, this is a really strange story, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain some of it this morning, but it says this, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, hey, take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and, and bring me a report so I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? Are, are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? I'm gonna explain how in the world a census is a sin. But the king insisted, take the census. So Joab, he said, okay. And when he returned, he reported, you got over a, you got over a million warriors in Israel. You got like 500,000 in, in Judah, but, but Job didn't include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. So we'll talk about this craving for pride. Father, thanks for, thanks for the choir. Thanks for men and women that uh, are passionate about you, but sometimes God is the choir. We got to preach to ourselves. Sometimes we're the ones who need it more than anyone else, and, and we are not exempt from that. So would you speak by the power of your spirit today in this place, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, you may be seated. Have you, um, have you ever done something that you were proud of? Like something that, um, that, you know, you're like, give yourself an attaboy, that you, you feel good about it. I've talked before from the stage about how um, I was uh, gifted a zero-turn radius mower. And, and this thing is, oh my goodness, it is a toy. It's, uh, it is a grown-up go-kart. It is, I had no idea how much fun this thing is. And I, I remember the, um, the very first time that I, I got it out. I'd never had one before. And I remember when I got it out to mow my front yard. I was so excited and so proud of myself because I, I mean, I had a zero turn. I remember going to the shed because that's where you keep your mower, right, guys? You keep it in the shed. That's what you do. So I went to the shed and I, and I got the mower out and I cranked that bad boy on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pulled it out of the shed, out under the driveway. And we got a long driveway, and so I'm like pulling this bad boy down the driveway. And I'm looking at my neighbors with their little push mowers. And, and I am just like, I am looking at them like, oh, you poor souls, you. Yes. Oh, gloat in my greatness, if you would. It just felt like power. It just felt great. I was so excited. And, and I still remember, like I remember I, I, I had my headphones on. I was cranking the Dwight Yoakam. I was super stoked, having fun. And I was like going, I pulled onto the lawn and I started mowing, mowing the straight line. And I still remember neighbors pulling by me and slowing down in their truck. 
It's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, that's right, yeah. And I look over, and, you know, it's like a Prius, and I'm like, you don't count. I don't care if you notice me or not. You and your little hybrid car doesn't impress. But the guy, not kidding you, very first time, this guy comes by in a truck, he slows down. I was like, I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm just kind of glancing out of the side view, you know, I didn't want him to see me. And, and I remember getting done and I remember pulling onto the driveway and like doing a power slide with the mower, dismounting off of that bad boy, looking out over my lawn and uh, thinking to myself, I forgot to turn the blade on. I, I, I hadn't mowed my yard. I had driven my yard. I, I'm not, ah, I remember thinking, I hope my neighbors did not see this. No one must ever know about this moment. Of course, now I'm having a moment realizing everyone knows about this moment. I mean, I was just so humiliated. <laughs> we, we've all been given this, this God-given desire for validation. God gives you a desire for approval and acceptance and, and even, even to receive attention. But there is a tension between pride in oneself and selfish pride. It's a tension that we all live in. Like, there's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work. I, I hope you take pride in your work. That I try to do it with excellence. I try to do the best I can to help the people around me. I, I hope that you take pride in your yard. Everyone should take pride in their yard. We all have that neighbor who does not take pride in their yard, and you wish they did take pride in their yard or take something to it, anything, a pair of scissors, something. <laughs> But we, we all have this, this, this desire in us to, for it, and, and, and it's, it's such a, a tension that we're in, like you, we just want to be seen and somebody to, to notice me. And I mean, you can be, it, it's just this tension. And then sometimes it's, it's like, like, like you have this pride, in, and it's a good pride in your child. If you have a child, some of you, you take pride in your kid, right? You're like you, you love your kid. You're, you're proud of your kid. Or maybe, maybe you've been working out, and, and you're, you're proud of yourself because you're like, well, I'm, I'm getting physically fit. I, I, you look in the mirror, and you're seeing the results of your hard work. There's nothing wrong with that. Or since I'm preaching to the choir, I mean, you can even be proud of your spiritual walk. You can look back at where you were. I heard so many of you during that last song when you're like, I remember where I was and there was some shouting in here because you remember where you were and you know where you are now and you're like, man, thank you, God. Just, just last night, Laura's mom was at the dinner table and, and she said to me, she said, Brad, I just, I'm, I'm just been thinking about you because I remember when you were 17 years old and you asked for my daughter's hand in marriage. Now, I know if you're new and you don't know my story, you're like, huh? how old? Well, I asked for her hand in marriage because, well, our marriage had been bumped up by a couple of years due to some circumstances that had happened. I had crash-landed my life. I had made some decisions and choices 
that had ripples and ramifications. But she was saying, there you were, this 17-year-old boy, and now here you are, much older. And she's like, and now you're going to go to Guatemala, and you're going to train these pastors. And, and when she said that, I, I just had this moment where I was like, wow, God. Wow. Thank you. But can't that so quickly slip into selfish pride? Wow. Look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at my child. Look at what I'm doing. Look, I'd be looking good right now. I need to get this one uploaded right away. Get a picture. Let people like it because I'd be looking so good. It can so easily, pride in oneself can just slip into selfish pride. And this is where we find David. David, who was a a good man, he was a good guy, a good king, but he got caught up in selfish pride. And and so he's going to take this census. And Joab comes to him, and Joab doesn't want to do it. And we read this in verse 3. He says, why, my lord, the king, do you want to do this? Are, are they not all your servants? Say this with me. Why must you cause Israel to sin? Now, how could, how could taking a census be a sin? That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Except when you realize that, number one, God told the people of Israel, I will tell you when to take a census. And God had not told him to take a census. This was David being disobedient to God. Not only that, but it was the motive behind it. It was the reason why David was taking the census, because David, David wanted validation. He, he didn't need it. But he wanted some validation. He wanted the people to see that he was, he was powerful. He wanted the people to see that he was wealthy. He wanted people to see that he had this vast kingdom and had great power. I, I believe David's sin was what John called in 1 John 2.16, the pride in achievements and possessions. It's, this is what can happen to us, that the craving for pride will prey upon our validation. I need that validation, and, and it can become our why, why we are doing what we're doing. Like Satan, we know from the scriptures, tempted David, and, and guess what? He's going he's gonna to tempt you as well. Come on, turn to somebody and say, guess what? He's coming for you. Come on, turn to somebody and say, he's coming for you. There's some good news. Glad I came to church today. Yeah, he's, he's coming for all of us. And, and what can happen is you can begin to use people and the positions that you've been placed in for your own validation. Like social media is not a bad thing. We all know that. Nothing wrong with posting things. There's nothing wrong with commenting and liking on things. But how many times have you posted something hoping for the likes? hoping for the, the validation, some kind of comment, somebody noticed me and I look good in this and, and so we can do it and our why is wrong. It happens in the causes that we support. Like you get involved in what should be a good cause. You should wanna support this, but we've all seen people who jump on the bandwagon of an organization or support a cause because it just looks good because they're doing it for their own validation. I mean, you can buy organic. 
Okay, is organic good? Yeah, but you'd be like, yes, I only eat organic. That's what I do. No preservatives or false things are going in my body. Because you just want people to know that you eat organic. I mean, it can be for all kinds of different reasons. Like for me, I, I know for me, I, I just always loved clothes and style. I just, whatever the trends are, I want to know what's happening, what people are wearing, what's good, because I just like it. I like shoes, I like watches, I, I just, I like looking good. And in fact, actually, somebody sent me a picture from back in the 90s. This is, this is me back in the 90s. Boom! Funny now, cool then. No, like, I mean, look at those acid wash jeans back in the day. Come on, you all had a pair of them things. I mean, they were a little baggy in the thigh, grabbed around the ankle to show off the penny loafers I was wearing. Not to mention the perm. Do you see the perm? Yeah, back in the day. I know some of y'all had, Chris, I know you had a perm back in the day. Come on, man, I know you did. I mean, that's it's every guy. It's like, that was the, the thing. And, and so, so the very thing that you enjoy, the very thing that is good and taking pride in oneself can so easily slip into, in, into selfish pride and, and, and the why shifts in your life. Write this down. Pride poisons the soul. Pride poisons the soul. So for David, it, it, it poisoned his soul. It, it, and not only did it poison his soul, but the pride within him, it caused Joab, to, the scripture says, to be distressed and for God to be displeased. Like in, in verse 6, it, it says that Joab didn't want to do it, that he, he was distressed over it, but, but he, had, he had no choice, right? He had to do it, like David is the king, and this is what pride will tempt you to do. Pride will tempt you to use people and the positions God has put you in for your own personal validation. You guys see this every day in the workplace, don't you? We see companies that, are, that manipulate customers, manipulate people. Eric, Pastor Eric talked about this last week, the manipulation of marketing, that they, they say things and do things not, not for our benefit, but, but for their benefit. Some of you have worked for a CEO or you, you have a manager that, that's bending the rules a little bit or, or trying to manipulate something and take advantage of something and it's caused you distress, hasn't it? Where you're like, I, I don't think we're supposed to be doing this, and, uh, but this is my boss and, and if I don't do this, then I'm gonna lose my job and and, and then you're trying to figure out, what do I do, what do I not do? Like Joab, he's like, I'm going to take census of, of most of the tribes, but I'm going to leave two of them out because I just can't do this. And maybe that's happening to you at work. Or it can happen to us as parents that we manipulate the, the power and the position that God has put us in. And, and, and we innocently put our kids in, like, um, in, in youth sports. And we get them out on the ball field or in the gym. And, and all of my kids have played sports. And I, I love youth sports. But so often it can become about me. 
and, and my validation. And, and so no longer is it about them having fun and, and, and they're out there and well, now they got on a team and you're like, yeah, I'm so proud of my kid. They're on a team, but, but they're not starting and I need them to start. And then, and then you push your kid and you push them and then they're starting and, and that's fun, but that's not quite enough. And now they're starting, but I got to get them on the, I got to get them on the traveling team. I, I got to get them on the competition team. I got to get them to AAU tournaments. I got, I got to get them over here. And, and then that's not enough. That's not enough. I got to have the trophies and I got, and, and what happens is it's no longer about your kid. And it's all about you and your personal validation. And meanwhile, and is the, the kid is, is trapped. It's no way out. Like I'm being pushed by my parent. I have to do this. I have to go to that. And mom and dad say, do you want to do this? And they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Why? Because they want your validation. They want your approval. They want your acceptance. And I'm just saying this because I've had so, heard so many stories from young people who are like, I can't tell my parents because they'll be so disappointed. I see this not just in sports, by the way, because some of y'all, you're like, whew, I'm off the hook on that one. My kids are not athletic in the least bit. There's <laughs> not a coordinated body in their bone. Thank God they can use a pen and a computer. Well, let's talk about that. Can we talk about that for just a moment? Like the academics, parents, you can push your kids in academics to get good grades? Is it good for your kids to get good grades? It's good for you to get good grades, okay? It's good to get good grades, and it's good for you as a parent to inspire and encourage them, but so often that card, the report card comes back, and you're like, ooh, and you feel somewhat less of a parent. You don't want people to know that your child is struggling or they're having to take summer school or be in a special class or do makeup or have a tutor, I don't want them to know, not for them, but, but for you. Or you see them and they get the grades and you get the bumper sticker or they get the acceptance into the college or they get the diploma, whatever it is they get, and suddenly it's all about you. We can manipulate the positions that God puts us in and the powerful places he's put us to cause so much stress in people's lives around us. And I believe that in verse 7, that's why it says that God was very displeased. He wasn't just displeased, he was very displeased, and that's because God takes pride seriously. David was acting in disobedience. This wasn't for God's glory. He wasn't doing this for the glory of God. He, he was manipulating people and power and positions for his own personal gain. Uh, and this wasn't like him. Like, David's a good guy. You know, David is one of those guys that shows up for church on Memorial Day weekend. He's a, he's a good guy. But somehow something happened to him because as a young man, he found his validation in God. He always looked to God. The scriptures talk about that. And in fact, he was anointed king of Israel, but he doesn't go straight to the throne because Saul doesn't like him. And Saul is king at the time. And Saul chases after him. He wants to kill David. So David flees for his life. He's living out in the wilderness just as a scavenger, hiding out in caves. Not a great place to be. And this is where he writes Psalm 63. And in Psalm 63, 5, he says this as a young man. You, that's God, you, somebody say you, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. In other words, you satisfy me more than success. You satisfy me more than Stranger Things season four. I mean, you... 
little too close, a little too close for some of y'all. Oh, I was up last night binge watching that. I so tired, Pastor. I'm so sorry. You satisfy me more than, than comments and, and likes and, and posts. You, you, you satisfy me more than paper towels. Now I'm preaching, Pastor Eric. Now I am preaching. Oh, if you're new uh, last week, you have to go back and, and watch, watch that message. He said, you satisfy me more than the richest fee. Say this with me. I will praise you with songs of joy. That's David as a young man. Now he's the king. And the validation of the kingdom and the wealth and the power meant more to him than God's validation. I, I think we all need this reminder today as the choir. We need this reminder. Turn to somebody and tell them, you need this reminder. You, need, you, really need to, you really need this. Okay, now turn back and say, he's also talking to you. He's also, yeah. Because it's easy to fall into this, this trap, like in, instead of finding our validation in Christ, we can turn to achievements and possessions. And, and that's, that's a craving you will never catch. Craving is like a cat. Some of y'all, like, anybody have cats? Anybody cat lover? You like cats? You got cats in your house? Like four of you, okay? How many of you just, uh, no cats for me? No cats, okay? Yeah, so cats, and I know why you don't have cats, because cats, they come up and they're like, and they do that little rub on your leg. And you look at them, you're like, oh, cute little kitty, kitty, and they're rubbing on your leg. And then you reach down to pet the kitty kitty. And what does that kitty kitty do? Steps one step away, right? And you're like this. You're like reaching out. You're like, hey. And he looks back and goes. Okay, I'm coming for you, kitty kitty. And you reach down. And what does he do? He steps another step away. And then finally you reach down. You're like, I'm just going to pick you up. And then what does he do? They're gone. That is what cravings are like. The, the cravings, they, they, they will come at you. They, they come and they're like, you know you want to pat it. You know you want this. And then you reach down and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. And then it moves. And then you reach down and it moves and it keeps moving because you cannot catch cravings. It's just going to keep coming over and over again. I'd like for you to write this down. Pride is pressed out in the presence of Christ. Pride is pressed out in the presence of Christ. This is why we gather here on Sundays. This is why you are in God's house today. Because what you're doing, if you don't recognize it, you need to recognize this. Because what you are right now, you are doing is you are physically, physically, not just spiritually, physically saying no to the cravings of the world. Because there's a hundred other things that you could have been doing this morning. Including just sipping coffee on your back porch before it's 98 degrees today. 
You know, you, you could have been mowing your lawn. You could, have, you could have been catching up on stranger things. You could have been any other place, but you physically said, no, I am willing to be inconvenienced because my God is in the house of God and I will be in the house of God because I want to say no to the cravings of this world. This is why, like, you ever wonder, like, why don't we just have church once a month? It'd be so much easier. You know what I'm saying? It'd be easier on me, a whole lot less sermons to prepare, a lot less cost. Why, why, why weekly? Because you need a weekly rhythm of worship. You need a week, turn to somebody and tell them, you need a weekly rhythm of worship. This is something that we in the church, I'm not talking about the world, but I'm telling you the, wor- the culture has has caused us to forget about the weekly rhythm of worship. I figure if Jesus was in the house of God every week, I should be in the house of God every week. Because it's that thing where you're saying to the world, no, I'm going to deny my cravings and I'm going to get into the presence of God. I'm going to say no to the cravings and yes to the cravings of Christ. So when you come in here on a Sunday You start singing those songs, and what happens to you is suddenly you are re-centered where you need to be. Your cravings go to the right place. You suddenly develop and have this craving for Christ because you're going to walk out this week, and it's why you need to be in his word every single day because you need that rhythm in your life. It's so critical. That's how when you see people and you go, man, how are they making it through such difficult times? I can tell you how they are because Christ is a regular rhythm of worship in their life because it's in his presence that pride can be revealed and removed. In verse 8, we see it was, it was God's presence that, it's, it was in God's presence that David, he was confronted with his pride. And, and, and we see there that, that he repented, he was remorseful for what he had done. And then you go forward a few verses to verse 18. It says in verse 18, then the angel of the Lord uh, told Gad to instruct David to go up and say this with me. He'd do what? Build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor. God told him to go build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite. Now, you may be familiar with what a threshing floor is, but in David's time, what they would do is they would gather the harvest, the, the, the wheat and the grain, and they would bring it into a large area, and they would throw all the straw and all the grain into this large, what they called a threshing floor. And then what they would do is they would uh, take a threshing board. Now, this is the threshing board and what it looked like in David's time. So they would have this board, and it would have all these holes in it, and in those holes, they would put rocks. And then they would take the threshing board, and they would put it on the back of a donkey, or, or, or tie it to the back of a donkey, and they would drag it across that threshing floor, back and forth across that threshing floor. And what was so interesting is what they understood and what they knew is as they began to move it back and forth, it would separate out the straw from the grain. But what they also understood was that if they, if they did it too much, it would crush the grain. Not enough, and the grain would not be separated from the straw. And so then what they would do is they'd take the straw and they would throw it up into the air and then the wind would carry off the straw and all of the grain would fall to the ground. Write this down. The threshing floor, the threshing floor, 
is a place of revelation and separation. The threshing floor is a place of revelation and separation. It's, it's on the threshing floor that God reveals pride and he separates it out from your life. The, the, the threshing floor is the presence of God. It's, it's what you're doing right now. It's what you do during the week when you get with God and you sit with his word and, and you're in his presence. And, and it's it, when you're in his presence, that threshing board can go over your life. The, which I, I would say to you, the threshing board is, is the cross of Christ. That when you come underneath, when you humble yourself, that's what's interesting about the threshing board. If you want to get rid of pride, humble yourself. I'm not that good. I am prone to wander. I am prone to sin. I am prone to just live for my own selfish gain. I'm prone to go to work and think about myself before I think of other people. Dear God, help me raising these kids. I so often make it about me. That's humbling yourself under the threshing board. And what I love about the cross is that, is that Christ is going to drag that threshing board over you back and forth so that he can separate out the pride Throw it up and allow the Holy Spirit to take it from your life. And what I love about our Savior is it's going to hurt at times. Man, I wish it didn't hurt. You know how hard it is to preach this stuff sometimes? You don't know. Because I have not been the perfect man. I haven't been the perfect dad. I haven't been the perfect husband. So many times it's been about me. And I look back and I'm like, man, what the heck? And pride, it just grips you. But under that threshing board, it's painful. But when you get underneath that threshing board, when you humble yourself, he can, re he can reveal all of that to you. And then he can remove it and take it from you. Paul said it this way about the cross in Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature. They, they, they've nailed the cravings, the cravings for my selfish pride to the cross. And what? Say it with me. They've crucified them there. The cross is where I crucify my craving for validation. It's where I crucify my craving for approval, for acceptance, for attention, and it's on the threshing floor. It's in God's presence that, that I discover the validation I really need. And that's from him. So David, he, he surrenders his pride on that threshing floor. And what's amazing is God used it for his glory. If you go to the next chapter, you see this incredible moment in 1 Chronicles 22.1. Set the threshing floor. David says this, this, the threshing floor, will be the location for the temple of the Lord and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. The, the, the threshing floor 
became the temple. The very place that David went to of repentance, this minuscule place, God said, no, no, no. Now I'm going to turn that and I'm going to use it for my glory. The threshing floor became the very dwelling place of God. This is our God. This is what he can do. He chose you to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on, encourage somebody around you and say, that is you. That is you. Somebody needs to hear that today. That is, that is you. You, you. He chose you to be, be the dwelling place of God. What more validation do I need? God, God says he wants to, he wants to take the, my threshing floor and turn it into holy ground and use it for his glory. You, you want to take a 17-year-old broken boy and, and work him on the threshing floor, under that threshing board, decade after decade after decade, and then somehow I look back and I go, this ain't holy ground. This is who I was. This is what I did. This ain't holy ground. But he says, no, no, no. No, when, when, you, when you sacrifice on the altar, when you sacrifice your selfish pride on the altar, it becomes holy ground. It becomes the place where you can be used by God for his purposes and for his glory.